If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, there is one for you listed on the underneath the chair in front of you, and I encourage you to open it today because we're going to be doing uh, several uh, verses from John 14, and it will be helpful for you to have your Bibles open on your lap as we discuss a vibrant spiritual life from God the Holy Spirit. And today, I'll be dealing with the subject, the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. To introduce that, um, do any of you watch reruns of the Andy Griffith Show? Do you know the Andy Griffith Show? Yeah, a lot of us do. Some of our younger people maybe don't know the Andy Griffith Show, but you know that the Andy Griffith Show featured uh, Don Knotts. And uh, Don Knotts uh, is uh, known for his role in Mayberry. And in that role, he was a partner with all the other actors on the cast. And the Andy Griffith Show with Barney Fife, um, deeply uh, deputy, uh, built momentum, and eventually was the number one show on TV for many, many years. And uh, it's uh, rode that popularity and now is still a very popular uh, syndicated show uh, over the last 40 years. In fact, uh, there is a uh, Christian publishing company that created a Sunday school curriculum based on the lessons from the Andy Griffith Show. Well, the time came for Don Knotts to leave the Andy Griffith Show, and uh, Barney Fife left Mayberry. He went out on his own because he wanted his own show. He wanted more of the spotlight. But without Mayberry, Don Knotts was not the same. And quite frankly, without Don Knotts, Mayberry was not the same. In an interview, I heard Don Knotts say, quote, leaving the Andy Griffith show was the biggest mistake of my acting career. And the reason was is because when they were separated, neither one of them was the same. Now, I share that story to give us some semblance of an illustration of how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit work together. In the first three messages, we talked about how the Holy Spirit makes us spiritually alive. We have spiritual life from the Holy Spirit, and we have spiritual fullness from the Holy Spirit. And we experience that fullness as an ongoing experience, as well as special times when God moves upon us for special assignments. And we just feel, we just feel filled with the Holy Spirit for a special assignment. But I'd like to suggest today that the ministry of the Holy Spirit always is in concert with the Father and the Son. Because without the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit just isn't quite the same. And without the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son are just quite not the same. As it is, they act in relationship with one another, and we experience a spiritual life as each person of the Trinity fills us and accomplishes his role in our lives and in the world. So I'd like to take a few moments today and discuss the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is going somewhere, so hang in there with me. But I'd like you to remind you that there is one God 
who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is arguably the most fundamental and unique doctrine of the Christian faith. It's what separates Christianity from all other faiths in the world. It requires that the God of Christianity is totally separate from the God, small g, of any other faith. Modern Judaism does not recognize a trinity. Islam does not recognize a trinity. Eastern faiths, Buddhism, Hinduism, and the other faiths of Eastern religion do not recognize a trinity. The major nominal Christian systems, such as Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they do not recognize a trinity. And because the doctrine of the Trinity, it is categorically prohibitive to say that we all worship the same God. We do not worship the same God. No other God is Trinitarian. Only the Christian God of the Bible is Trinitarian. One God, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That makes us totally unique. Now, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, yet it's clearly presented. Just listen to a few of the truths that the Bible unquestionably presents. First, the Father is God. The Father is God. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the ruler of the universe. The Father is unquestionably presented in the Bible as being divine. The Father is God. But secondly, the Son is fully God. The Bible says that he was with God in the beginning and that he is equal with God. Jesus said, if you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus forgave sins. He accepted worship. He calmed the storms. He raised people from the dead. He himself was raised from the dead. And in a very definitive statement from his own lips, he was talking with the Jews and he said, Before Abraham was, remember what he said? I am. Before Abraham was, I am, which means he's eternal. He is the eternal Son of God, divine, fully God. But in the same way as the Father is God and the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God as well. He is not just some spiritual force. Just like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit has all the characteristics of a person. Now, when we think of a person, don't, don't be thinking of a body. Think of the ideas of personhood the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit comforts. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. He gives wise counsel. He has a personal relationship with the Father and the Son. He is always described with the use of personal pronouns. Be careful never to refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He is a person. He is always a he or a him. 
And just like the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is a person who is fully God. In Acts chapter 5, we learn that to lie to the Holy Spirit is to lie to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God. And who can know the thoughts of someone unless they are that someone? So the Holy Spirit is God. And then Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit indwells us. Now that reminds us of the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament and who inhabited the temple and the tabernacle with his own presence. God did. And so if the Holy Spirit inhabits us, he must be God as well. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, calls the Holy Spirit the eternal spirit. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 3 that we are born of the spirit. And then in chapter 1, verse 12, says that being born of the spirit means that we are born of God. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. Each one as an individual person, but each one is fully God. And the scriptures clearly present God as one. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yet, there, there is plurality within the Godhead. Not three gods. Not one God who appears in three different modes. Not three entities who are each one-third God and when put together form one God, like pieces of a pie or like a three-leaf clover. The Father and the Son and the Spirit are each fully God, each is equally God, and they are each equally God at the same time. Simultaneously, there is no illustration that accurately describes the Trinity, because God is unknowable, but yet he has personally given us the privilege of having a relationship with him. The only appropriate way to understand the Trinity is to say that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons. So here's something that has helped me throughout the years as I grapple with this quote-unquote mystery of the Trinity. There is one what, his essence, and there are three who's, his personhood. There is oneness, yet within that one, there is diversity. One God, three persons. And Dr. Bruce Ware, seminary professor, has summarized it this way. God's whole and undivided essence belongs equally eternally, simultaneously, and fully to each of the, of the three distinct persons of the Godhead. Wow. What a, what a succinct definition of God. Therefore, as we observe how the biblical writers discuss any one of the persons of the Trinity, we are always careful to do so in the context of the other two. 
because apart from one another, they're not the same. The Trinity is the consummate team, the quintessential small group, the most intimate and loving family. So if we want to understand the Holy Spirit in this series of messages, we are required to understand how he relates with the Father and the Son. So let me try to do that today by discussing the relationship of each person of the Trinity with the other two. And we'll make application to this uh, in just a minute. Let me give you three points from John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. First, the joy of the Son is to magnify the Father. That's his role. That's his joy. That's his gifting. That's what he does. That's what his heart is. He wants to magnify the Father. Let's look at John 14, verses 1 to 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. For from now on, you do know him. And have seen him. Now, oftentimes we look at this section and consider it, I have the focus primarily on Jesus. But look more closely at the text. Here we have that Jesus is the supporting cast. Jesus prepares a place where? In the presence of the Father. The presence of the Father is the destination, the Father's house is where Jesus is taking us. Jesus is our connection to the Father, and it is his delight, his delight to make it possible for us to have that connection and live in the presence of the Father. Imagine planning a, uh, a trip to Europe, and you go to a, um, a travel agent, and you're sitting in this travel agent's office, and you plan your trip. Well, you're going to go here, and then you get on this boat, and then you get on this plane, and then you check into this hotel, and then you go on this tour bus, and you get it all planned off, and the travel agent goes home. Compare that to a travel tour guide. What does a tour guide do? Tour guide goes with you. The tour guide gets down, and he says, come on, I'll show you where to go. He takes your hand, and he takes you to the boat. He takes you to the plane. He takes you to the attraction. He takes you everywhere you need to go. That's who Jesus is. He's the one who doesn't just tell us how to get to the Father. He actually takes us to the Father. That's his delight. That's his joy. Everything he does is intended to bring glory to the Father. Every way he works in our lives is intended to enable us to bring glory to the Father. Even answered prayer. Look at John fourteen thirteen. Jesus said, And I will do whatever you ask in my name. Why? 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. It is the joy of the Son to magnify the Father. And that's how they relate one to another. So the Son magnifies the Father. But let's look at the next verses in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 8 to 11, and see how it is the Father's joy to magnify the Son. Verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, that we'll, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for so long? Anyone who has seen the Father has seen me. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Notice two key phrases. It is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Why is the Father doing his work in Jesus? In order to magnify the Son. The Father makes sure that the Son is magnified. Then Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The Father is working in me. The Father is in the Son, and he works through the Son so that the Son gets all the attention. The whole reason the Father works in the Son is not to magnify himself, but rather to magnify the Son. Here's an example of the great humility in the Father. Now, God the Father needs no help in accomplishing his will, yet he has designed life to accomplish his work through the Son. Why would he do that? Because that's his joy. He gets great joy in seeing the Son magnified. Any father loves to draw attention to his children. My son Nicholas was one of the speakers for district conference this year. And so I went to a seminar and people would come up to me and and I didn't introduce myself to them and they would go, Oh, you're Nick's dad. And I thought, yeah, I'm Nick's dad. I just love being Nick's dad. Anything I can do to, to lift up my son and to be Nick's dad, that gives me tremendous joy. My daughter was uh, a pitcher for her high school softball team. And so when we bought sweatshirts for the Beaver Dam softball team, I put on the shoulder. I didn't put Brittany Rowan. I put Britt's dad. Because there's nothing more fun for me than to walk around. They won the championship that year, by the way. And I got to be Britt's dad when they were on the championship. I love being Nick's dad and Britt's dad. The father loves to magnify the son. Point number three, the next verses in John 14. It's the joy of the Holy Spirit to magnify the Father and the Son. I I bet you saw that one coming, didn't you? Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, 
the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So just as the Father and the Son delight in magnifying one another, the Holy Spirit delights in magnifying the Father and the Son. Where is that in this text? Verse 16. Jesus tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit will be another counselor. Now, not a camp counselor, not even a biblical counselor in London. The word means an advocate. Another means someone just like me. Not the person's substitute, like substitute speaker for a pastor when the pastor is gone. Rather, it's the one who carries on the work of another so that the other one is magnified. So Jesus said the Holy Spirit makes sure that everything Jesus came to do is continuing in motion and is finally fully accomplished. Then look at verse 17. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. Truth. Now, who is the way and the life and the truth? Jesus is the way and the life and the truth, John fourteen six. But yet when we get to John sixteen thirteen, who is the Holy Spirit called? He is called the Spirit of Truth. He's the Spirit of Jesus. And what does he do? He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus Jesus says, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The spirit of truth, everything he does points to the fact that the Son is the truth. Yet in his ministry of magnifying the Son, also look again at verse 16, the Holy Spirit works on behalf of the Father. Listen to what he says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to help you with and be with you forever. Notice here that the Father also sends the Holy Spirit. The Father sends the Holy Spirit as his emissary, someone just like the Father. Now we learn that the Father ensures that his role is accomplished in the, in the life of the Son, by sending the Holy Spirit to facilitate it. So here's the point. The Holy Spirit never sends himself. Nowhere does the Holy Spirit get glory. Nowhere does the Holy Spirit grope and manipulate for attention. Sometimes the Bible describes him as coming from the Father in the name of the Son, Other times, the Bible describes him as coming from the Son as we drink from his abundance. Remember, Jesus said, come to me and drink, and I will give you rivers of flowing water. And by this, he meant the Spirit. Although he is a person of equal deity and equal significance, he is always and joyfully so, magnifying the Son and bringing glory to the Father, and he delights in that role. He would not want it any other way. Now, let's imagine that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are taking a trip around the universe. And uh, 
you know, they take pictures when they're at Mars. They take pictures when they're in front of a black hole. They take pictures in one of the outer universes, you know. They take all these pictures, and they come back from their trip, and they sit down, and they look at the pictures. And in every picture, there's the father and the son. Every picture, the father and the son. Every picture, the father and the son. Where's the Holy Spirit? He was there, too. Now, he's the one who took the pictures. Because his desire is to lift up the Father and the Son. Never himself. Always magnify the Father and the Son. So here we have it. The Father has joy in magnifying the Son. The Son has joy in magnifying the Father. And the Spirit has joy in magnifying the Father and the Son. That's the way it is. And each person wants it that way. They would not want it any other way. So let's make some application. First, while it is appropriate to worship the Holy Spirit, after all, he's God, so worship the Holy Spirit. We can always worship God. Don't ever want to dissect the Trinity and say, oh, no, we can't worship the Holy Spirit. Well, he's God. And he's God at the same time as the, Holy, as the Father in a sense. So we can worship the Holy Spirit if we want. But the Holy Spirit's desire and preference is that we receive his help in expressing our worship to the Father and the Son. That's how the Holy Spirit finds his joy. We've learned that the Holy Spirit gives spiritual life. But that life was granted by the will of the Father, who draws them to the Son, and the Son who then gives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives spiritual life so that we may magnify Jesus to the glory of the Father. Now, some of our Christian friends focus on the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's okay, I suppose. But unless the result is bringing glory to the Father and to the Son and to promote the gospel of God, which is all about the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, these experiences are counterfeit. Paul said, I preach Christ and him crucified. That's the gospel. The Holy Spirit facilitates the gospel. Spiritual gifts are for the edification of the body of Christ to the glory of the Father in the name of the Son. Not for any individual to magnify the Holy Spirit. And that's the way he wants it. That's the way he wants it. Second, the Holy Spirit is a wonderful example of building up others and resisting the urge to bring attention to ourselves. Following his example, as we relate to this world, we do not demand our rights. We do not demand to be treated fairly. They will not happen in this world. Will not happen in this world. 
And while we are in the body of Christ, we promote righteousness and justice for others. That's the example of the Holy Spirit. We're not concerned about ourselves. We're concerned about others. And that example of the Holy Spirit promotes healthy team, healthy body life, denying ourselves, showing preference to others, building up others, cheering for others. That's the example of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I'd like to make a concluding application, and it's this. The love relationship among the three divine persons of the Trinity is inspiration for our unity in the local church. Now, here's a summary. Each person of the Trinity has a role. Each one loves that role. None of them wants the other's role. All of them cheer for others to succeed in their role. That's how God works. That's who he is. That's his joy as he nurtures relationships among himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So let's substitute the church, individuals in the church, for God. Each person in the church has a role. Each one loves that role. None of us wants the other's role. And all of us cheer for the other to succeed. The implications for leadership in our church is obvious. In the church, we recognize the diversity of gifts and the uniqueness of roles. We recognize each gift and each role as being equally significant and just as important as the others. The Holy Spirit is not inferior to the Son. The Son is not inferior to the Father. The Father does not have a better role than the Holy Spirit. The Son does not have a more important role than the other two. They're all equal. The same with us. There is diversity in the body according to God's giftedness. And we recognize that. A person who is a leader is not more a person than the person who is the worker or the server. They're both equally the same and significant. But leaders have a different role than the servers. And in order for the team to work, each one recognizes what their role is. And then to the glory of God, they cheer for the other to succeed. And most importantly, as we recognize our gift, as we recognize our role, we are empowered. We are empowered to fulfill our role. Each person in the church has a role. 
Each one loves that role. None of them wants the other's role. All of them cheer for the others to succeed in their role. So let's learn from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And let's thrive as a church as we follow their example and empowered by their presence in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the body of Christ. And we are still sinners in the body of Christ. Boy, that that sinful nature raises its ugly head at the most inopportune times sometimes. But thank you for the joyful lifestyle of repentance that we can get right with you and right with one another and then carry on without condemnation or self negative self-talk. Thank you, Lord, for our church, Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Thank you for the opportunity we have to model the harmony and the joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who are in perfect relationship one with another. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And I pray that you'd give us wisdom, guidance, direction, that we might all be empowered to serve you with great joy, seeking to magnify the others and accomplish the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is your heart for this world. Lord, we saw this weekend the only hope for our world is the gospel. Governments can try to solve moral problems like this. Governments can try to pass laws that force people to act in a moral Christian way. How can we expect people to act like a Christian if they're not a Christian? Lord, change hearts. Draw men and women to you. God, our heart is that you would bring revival to our country. That can come only from you. Along the way, help us who are Christians to act like it. And to serve those who are in need. To serve those who are hurting. To come alongside those who are grieving. To give, to love, to forgive and to serve. May you be honored as we seek to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as so often says in the Bible, you said it in Second Chronicles chapter 7, uh, may it begin with us. May it begin with us. So, God, thank you for what you've given to us in the scriptures, the truth that we have the joy to live by. Grant us your grace as we seek to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.